Hey, welcome to Going Off Track. I'm Jonah. I'm Brad. Uh, today we have a very special, special podcast. Um, today our guest is a fellow named Mark McCoy. and uh, Multi-talented Mark McCoy. He's an artist. He owns a very cool record label called Youth Attack. And he's been in so many bands. It's impossible to really say. Most notably, obviously, Charles Bronson, Das Oath, Holy Moeller, Failures. But um, Steak Mountain frequent guest and guest host on the podcast was like i'm friends with mark mccoy would you like to have him on and i was like yes and steak mountain who seems to hate almost everything (laughs) is like you can tell is like enamored with mark like obviously you know they were in bands that play together but um mark is just yeah such an interesting dude i was showing brad his art he does we talk about a lot but yeah he does these dot paintings that take like six months he writes in his journal for like hours every morning he has this crazy process And he's in like, he's been in like 10,000 amazing screamo bands and Youth Attack does all this insane kind of handmade stuff um, out of Brooklyn. We talk about that a lot. He's got an MFA, blah, blah, blah. He's published three books. And the band Spaz, I learned from Wikipedia this morning, have a song called Hardcore Before Mark McCoy Was Emo Seaman, which I'm going to guess is about 30 seconds long (laughs) and sounds like every other Spaz song. But, uh... Very lyrical. Yeah, very lyrical. But yeah, so we talked a lot about Mark's artistic process, about the label, about his home situation, living in Brooklyn. This is like a, a kind of a dramatic podcast, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good. Brad, have you heard this podcast? Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. This is um but yeah, so um thanks Steak Mountain for introducing us. Thanks, Mark, for coming by. If you haven't listened to Charles Bronson, you gotta do it. Classic. Classic, classic classic screamo power violence and mark is a super interesting and accomplished dude so let's just get into it huh let's do it all right mark mccoy i'm going off track it's going off track what's up dudes hey um so we're here with mark mccoy here we are yes this here with um chris norris yes and me chris and norris. mark mccoy hi What's up? Oh, not much. Just drinking coffee. Yes. <laughs> we're, we're all wearing all black, even though it's like 9,000 degrees out. Yeah. Although not as bad today. No, it's not as bad as it was yesterday. Oh, not as bad as the other day when we met up and it was like fucking 90 degrees and I was in like a fucking long sleeve or something. <laughs> like a fucking asshole. These things are always the weirdest to start, like podcasts. Yeah, yeah. It's always like, hey, we've already been talking for like 20 minutes. Let's but, talk uh, about the weather for a minute. Yeah, let's talk about the weather for a minute and hey, what's going on? You know, it's like <clears throat> establishing shots and like yeah, exactly. really mediocre like, movies. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, here's like, the neighborhood here's the house the the sun setting (laughs) clouds are going by here's the stock footage of the castle and now we're on a set in italy and And claudia cardinal's walking through with some fucking uh, a candelabra or something oh man i wish oh yeah because by the way that's probably what this will end up turning into is just us talking about movies i think yeah that's kind of what i figured yeah (laughs) it's usually the deal anyways um so for those who do not know mark is uh, I don't know. For me, he's a fucking legend, even if he's a peer. I know you're over there making the face, the the scrunchy flapjack face. But <laughs> but um, he was in uh, when I was in combat, wounded veteran in reversal. He was in a band in Chicago area called Charles Bronson, and then went on to do so many millions of other bands since Charles Bronson. But Charles Bronson is basically the the champagne bottle breaking on the hull of your what is that sorry what do you hear that like yeah is, is that it me 
being a fucking Maybe. idiot. Hold on. Try putting this on yours. Am I a spitter? Sometimes it just happens, but just... All right, so keep on talking, and it's going, and it's going, and I'm still saying things. And after Charles Bronson, he was in Das Oath, and he also runs uh, Youth Attack Records, which specializes in really reaching to the far edges of extreme, this is such a stupid word, but extreme hardcore, different things like that, different forms, different kinds of bands, but it all relates to a the crazier end of music right that would be safe to say it's not like you're yeah. putting out a fucking you know worship record or something or you know uh, yeah a, a friend of mine in, in, in <laughs> it's singing we're having some real technical issues yeah, guys let's my mic is that, sliding away from me there you go yeah i think better yeah yeah okay all right keep sliding now we can just switch because uh, I don't need to be heard. <laughs> my my friend Not Sam true. Vince in Australia he does this zine uh, down and out. It's really great. And he he asked like what the the link is to all the bands I put out, and uh, I gave him some answer. But I thought about it more, and it's actually uh, that I want to play in all these bands. I you like know? that. You know, it's like I wish I could be in them. Yeah, so yeah, like yeah. the next best thing is to get it out there so that others can hear it and. And in a way, I feel like I'm in it. Yeah, you're a part of it in some sort of capacity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like that. That's actually a really good version of that. Because I was thinking about that even... I, I do that like when I've been... And I've talked to you both about this, but you know, I've been trying to like write screenplays and get into the mode of just understanding that. And it's just all about like the thing I'd... Like the movie I want to... I, I would want to make, not necessarily just... You know, that sounds so stupid, but you know what I mean? It's like that thing where you're like, no, this is really the thing I really want to make. I know people always say that probably about what they're writing. But regardless, that was a dumb tangent. But yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> that's actually the best thing. That, that's the best version of, uh, you know, explanation of it. Well, I... It's a little, it, as far as your relation to it goes. Like when I work with a band and they're like sending me demos of songs I'm working on, uh, when I feel blown away by it, it's always like... Um, some sort of mystical element like how do they come up with that like where do they get those ideas that seem to come out of nowhere and that for me is like what keeps me so fascinated in this kind of music that you could essentially remake the same thing for 30 years but somehow the content finds a way to refine itself in some sort of interesting way you know you can go back and in history and like compare bands like the start of thrash metal when like Slayer and Metallica and Exodus were all doing these albums. And at the time they probably all seemed like very uniform in a way and kind of derivative of each other. Um, but to me, I really love analyzing like the differences between them and the sort of lineages they produced, like, um, like the, the influences that people take and start their own thing, like they just sort of trail off into into history uh, going forward. And uh, that to me is just so crazy. Like you can hear bands today where it's like, oh yeah, like this riff comes from here or like this sort of drum part, you know, it was derivative of this band from 1981 or whatever. So I, I really like just sort of analyzing the, the components of song structures and like the 
the way that they relate to each other like uh, this. It's kind of like a, an uh, interior language. And in I feel music. like that comes from you being an artist as well, like a visual artist, because it's all sometimes it's because it's about process. Yeah, absolutely. And it's about your process as well. You know what I mean? And understanding, like being an interest, knowing what it takes to your relation to it, it's like knowing what it takes to grow something creatively. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're also interested in other people's versions of that. Absolutely. And your like their like, take on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah completely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but don't, do you feel like it's also about perception? I feel like almost as much as process, because I feel like you could also look at that, which is what I do, and I talk about all the time, is like, this has been done before, I've heard this, or I've seen this, like, this is just reminds me of this and this, like, like, what kind of keeps you, like, interested in new versions, I guess, aside from being like, ugh, I'm jaded, fuck this. Well, it's interesting you, you mentioned perception, because perception for me is one of the key things that um, interests me, because it's always being overwritten, you know, like, as we go forward, things continually lose meaning or the meaning becomes replaced with a new meaning you know and and that goes for like just a legendary bands that we take for granted like mayhem would we care about mayhem as much if there wasn't such a crazy backstory to the members getting killed you know but then they become mythical and then suddenly there's no bands before Mayhem. Like they all had influences, these, right. the guys in the band, but suddenly they become definitive. You know, we, we stamp some level of importance on them. But uh, one thing that I see is just as uh, media keeps expanding and it seems to just accelerate in terms of like how much content is churned out, that uh, it it becomes devoid of meaning. So that uh, the the very forms and now are just like empty symbols, like, um, you know, it, like band logos or skulls or, you know, like all these things become like cliches in a sense. And so there, there's all these, it's almost like a free language just sort of floating out there. And I, I think things like Tumblr, for example, you know, where you, the, the concept of reblogging something and calling it yours, right. you make yourself the curator is really interesting to me. Because it sort of takes the place of the artist now. Because in all, most of the stuff you see reblogged doesn't like credit who who made it. Doesn't credit like the image. And uh, it, one just sort of takes these things on. It comes a statement unto itself. Like it's this thing that I like. It's like, well, why do you like it? I don't know. There's no there's no explanation needed. You just like it. Uh, and I think that really eliminates discourse between why something is good or why something is bad, because it all seems to be aimed towards consumerism. Right. That, you know, um, if you create a hive mind, you know, if you get everyone on board to like the same things, well, then they're easier to corral and, and sell to, in theory. Not everyone uses Tumblr for the same reasons. I don't. I, I consider it the, the least of least evil of the social media sites. Because it's visual? Maybe? Uh, I think it's more about a, a, an authority issue, even though it's owned by Yahoo. Sure. I, I feel like they're <clears throat> less somehow less concerned with uh, owning your content than like some of the others, which I find so evil. 
Right. You know, trying to take over the world. <laughs> right. Like Instagram, things like that. Yeah. So Tumblr's like the Wild West, essentially, almost. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if, if there's still some... porn on there, yeah. then you know somehow they're more lenient. I feel like that's really the the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because once they start, you know, censoring you, right, then or... it becomes really troubling. And I, I find it so strange that people are so, on. they're just, they don't care that they're unaffected by the fact that like we own your content and I've always had authority issues. Yeah. It comes out in things like this that are probably harmless. Yeah. I mean, what are they really going to do? What is Instagram going to do? I don't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, but <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't seem to make much of a difference, but you never know. You know what I mean? There's always that point too. You know what I mean? What they would do with it. You know what I mean? You could down the line, you know what I mean? So I understand why you wouldn't want to be involved. But the, the I think the the reason why I do a lot of things like the records they put out or the drawings they make or the albums they record all comes as a response to uh, control and just the sort of disposable, reductive nature of the world is encroaching day after day mm-hmm. on my life. You know, so uh, out of resistance, I'll spend eight months on a drawing or take four years to finish an album because I want to get the most out of it that I can. And I know that once it goes out there, it'll just get buried in like a month. You know what I mean? So do you think that whether subconsciously or consciously, that is why you went with youth attack, you make things so limited because it gives them a life, even though it could get buried, you almost take public enthusiasm and turn it into a memory you know what i mean because we were just talking about before because he was over um at a record label his band is on yesterday and there's a, a youth attack nut there you know oh, what i mean where he was like yeah. showing him the tommy tapes from the temporary residence what's up yeah I know who yeah. Listens. But yeah yeah i went over there and he was like yeah what's up with the podcast and i was like oh we're doing one with mark mccona and he's like dude check this out and it was i can't remember what band it was it was like a cassette and this whole thing folded out uh yeah there's a bunch like i'm sure yeah, say, but yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a few but yeah he was like he's like dude the, these are so hard to get like a bunch of kids like like would punch each other in the face over this like <laughs> i don't know if that's true <laughs> i don't know i think i may have that true. image <laughs> i may have created that but you, you know there's like there's always discogs or right? yeah yeah <laughs> you know, these things are attainable but i i don't make it uh so limited so that people have to scramble necessarily it's because I think that's the actual audience that we were talking before we recorded that yeah. there's just a general lack of public interest. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, and it, for these things to exist, it's really sink or swim. Like one false step could put me in debt for like a year or longer, which has happened. Right. You know, and month after month, I, I have to figure out how to get by. And since I refuse to get a job, it's really up to me to figure out like, okay, I, I guess you have to figure something out you know suffer if i if i don't have enough food to eat go on a diet you know what i mean (laughs) like that's it has come to that point and i think that's just the reality of my situation where it for the kind of stuff i do to exist it doesn't come for free it doesn't come easy you know and at, at one point it probably will stop because i you know my interests change i just think like there's other people that can step in and people other people there's always other people there is always other people but from 
And that's very true. And there will be another Mark McCoy. There will be another fucking Jonah Bear. There will be another. I'm the last of mine. But anyways, um, (laughs) (laughs) but but you know what I mean. But like, but for me, I guess what, and I feel like I feel like the kid. I feel like kids see this too. That were kids, you know, when we were the kids that were, uh, you know, are now our age when we were getting into this stuff or whatever. They see a personality like to me, like Youth Attack, because you are because it's so part of you in a way that maybe it's different than like Ken at Prank or any of those other labels that have come and gone that kind of shop in the same mm. areas that you do. You know what I mean? Is that there's an autorism, like you're in, like the the uh, the hardcore auteur. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, and I think that sounds kind of corny but but you know what i mean it's like to me like the whole record label is a piece of art what you do what you're involved in is a is an extension of you as an artist and that if i was ever ever i was ever gonna write uh the intro to your fucking retrospective i would be bringing (laughs) that up because i will be writing the intro to your retrospective so chelsea could take care of the the outro you know what i mean but (laughs) you know what i mean but like it's one of those things where to me it's like that's how i always see it when i see these limited edition cassettes and i was telling him this too they're like pieces of art they're they're screen prints and that hundred that locked thing creates not it's not about market but it creates a body of work even a hundred hundred tapes hundred seven inches uh you know hundred lps things like that and your involvement in it and the fact that you took so much time and that you are so involved and, and I, i'm not saying that other people aren't in their labels but i guess it's because uh, maybe it's because of our relationship, or I, I really uh, I see you as this like pointed, interesting, exciting guy. All as ever since we were fucking kids, which uh-huh. is what drew me to you when we weren't friends, and we were starting out. And I was like, well, why isn't every band just Charles Bronson? You know what I mean? <laughs> At that point in time. <laughs> but realistically speaking, like Charles Bronson and and in that scene that we were involved in in that late nineties two thousands, that what you brought out and what you antagonized inside of people, and also like that. The kind of the the way that that lineage of that band or like the narrative of that band kind of presented itself to the public was so essential for kind of changing being just a meathead band. You know what I mean? There was like this extension of weird, not comedy, but there was a, just something there that was just like it was just you. You know what I mean? Your interests, throwing uh, pictures of Mia Farrow in a record or, you know, or things like yeah. that. Like whatever you were kind of even specifically obsessed with at that moment that had nothing to do with hardcore that would show up. Now I'm just wild tangent going crazy <laughs> on this. But, you know what I mean? But but essentially what I'm saying is, is, that like, is that like there's nothing that you touch that is not you, even uh-huh. when you're not in the band. You know what I mean? So you're putting out a hoax LP. I know that you've touched it. You know what I mean? And not because it's on youth attack, but because, you know, just there's, it is because of that, but also just like the way everything gets handled and everything and the, and the limited quality, you know, like the quality of it and everything is just like this massive piece of your art. And it's like art art. It's not like just starting a record label to sell units or have too many things in your fucking closet left over that no one wanted because it's pretty safe to say that you don't usually have very many remnants when you do a run of, of a new record. They sell. No. Yeah. You get rid of them. Yeah. And that's kind of like that fanaticism and that mania that's existed since for 15 some odd years since Charles <laughs> Bronson. Yeah. You know what I mean? Is like, to me, that mania and what I was saying was like turning like a limited edition kind of like fanaticism into a, into a, a, a memory for kids and an excitement for kids. It's like everything is so crazy now. Everything is so sporadic and there's so much of everything that what I love about Youth Attack and what about you do with the label is that you 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 call attention but not 
in like like a hey look at me way just like it's just part of the art the attention is the art you know what i mean the aspect of it the focus of it and the kid's enthusiasm and the kid in fucking sweden or the fucking kid in mexico <laughs> or anybody that runs on the like weird little chat board thing that you have on the website you the know truth I mean? yeah well, you know where everybody's like just fucking it's just a weird community of kids talking shit to each other yeah you know what I mean? Yeah, that's and, what I was for. Yeah, and it's amazing. Yeah. And to me, that's part of the art, too. Is like Absolutely. Their discourse, their conversations, their friendships that they make inside of this thing, you know, friendships and, uh, a, you know what I mean, and, and connecting inside of this massive kind of, there's an overarching nihilism to everything that's on Youth Attack. Sir, yeah. You know what I mean? And I, which is obviously just because there's not a piece of color in the in any record for the most part. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like there's like a big thing that it's all you. And now we're sitting here and we made a joke earlier, but it's just like, you know what I mean? It's just like, we're all, you know, it's even curated down to just how you look, not like you're doing that on purpose, but there's like, you're a black and white guy. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. an extension of the art. You know what I mean? And like, that's brilliant to me. And that was like a massive influence on me when I, when we were younger, you know what I mean? And seeing what you were doing. Oh, and then when we finally met, you know what I mean? And became friends and have like a, like a, a general like idea that we have something in common. That's just not about being two idiot kids who like hardcore records. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and seeing like, I guess like what I love about you is that no one has any idea the insanity that goes past what happens in youth attack as far as what your art goes. <laughs> when you were showing me your archives from school, like like I don't know, ten years ago, we got together and you were like trying to build your website. And, and well, you were you were really instrumental in that, actually. Which because I I'm think happy, at the time you know? I was kind of downtrodden, just like you know, didn't know what to do. I just I just felt like it's pointless to even like pursue this. Yeah, and for me, like seeing that, I was like, no, 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 no. It's pointless <laughs> for me. To pursue this, but it's not pointless for you to pursue it. Oh, it, come on. Can we can we get some context really quick? When did you move Yeah, out let's here? do that. I went to school at Northern Illinois University in DeKalb. Okay. And uh, I, I graduated in 97, and then I moved here to go to grad school. So this was post-Bronson, or this was... Yeah, uh, Bronson broke up shortly before I left Illinois. Okay. So... Uh, it broke up and the band broke up in like s- September or August, I think. And then I I moved here like a month or two later. Okay. Yeah. And then I, I've I've moved around a little here and there, but I've mostly stayed in New York since. And so you were you started doing the fine art stuff more af- after the band or you're doing that well, during I've, the band? Well, I have de- degrees in, in fine art. Okay. So like I spent my entire upbringing drawing. Okay. So that that's really what I do best i think uh so I, I make these ink drawings and they take me a long time to finish and then when i have enough of them i'll like have a show if if someone will help me <laughs> if someone will give me an opportunity then or i have to ask so i've, I've been pretty fortunate but i've uh i've only had two in uh you know, the last what six years so i think i've made a total of 18 drawings since 2007 wow so that's how long they take me and kind of give an idea for everyone what they're like because they're Uh, fucking insane they're really detailed architectural drawings and they're like these uh sort of collapsing bodies of structures floating in empty space in what size 
They vary in, in size, but uh, I've started making them bigger so that I can fill the spaces more. I really have been trying to get like more density in the work because I, I'd like to create this sort of uh, impermeable mass that like you just can't even really take in. And I think a lot of that comes from like early films I've seen, just like the details and like this, the, the models on like Star Wars as a kid, like the just like the the way the, like the ships looked like all these minute sort of it, you know insignificant details it's like well who thought of those and like is there like a uh, a rhyme or a reason to them there must be so that always sort of fascinated me that there's somebody out there that was like so obsessive to make these things so they they just didn't need to but they loved the idea of it and I, that sort of thing stayed with me plus i grew up uh in the midwest so my my earlier uh, relatives, like my mother's, like her father, uh, they were all dairy farmers in Wisconsin. And so they sort of stayed there after the whole like dairy industry collapsed. And they all lived like in these rural areas and we would go visit them every summer. And the area was that they lived in were just these desolate landscapes of abandoned homes and farms and as as a child, that fascinated me, and I think that really carried over into like horror movies and stuff. So to just drive down these these rural routes, you know, that's what they would call these like dirt roads, and there would just be like a an abandoned farm with like the windows collapsed in, and it was fascinating to me that like this could uh, exist where it, where I'm from, or you know, in the suburbs, it's so congested, and just everyone living on top of each other, and you know trying to get ahead in here, it's just like there was a wasteland. So uh, a lot of these things just stayed with me as I got more into like thinking about, well, I like making figurative work, but uh, I don't think that really reflects anything that like uh, I have to say about the world. And um, in making architectural drawings, I, I think that they convey basically everything I'm uh, about. You know, there's a real psychology behind them. And part of me is tempted to not like read too far into it to like sort of create explanations out of it. Uh, so I just try to let myself just run with it. If I have an idea, I just will work at it. And it sort of becomes clear to me or I invent a narrative as I go. Sure, absolutely. And in those drawings, like you don't, and I feel, and I, I know, I feel like I know the answer, but for the sake of the podcast, it's like you're just, you're just going with it. You're like, okay, here's start. I'm going to start with a rotten piece of wood, and then I'm just going to go until it's done. You don't really have something in mind necessarily that, or like you're not working from anything. You're really just working from memory. You're working from. I, I have some, you know, references and stuff. Sure. Yeah. But for the most part, you just you did eight months, and then you're like, fuck, I forgot to put a tower on here. I'm going to spend three more months. Yeah. Making a dilapidated tower because it just looks right. You don't have like like you like you don't necessarily see it. You see it, but you don't necessarily see the final project it's very very intuitive uh, yeah yeah you know i mean and very organic and you're just kind of like yeah here's some fucking rubble and here's some here's a structure here yeah and you know what i mean and things like that yeah and the whole time i'm making it i'm like this drawing sucks yeah that's how i feel about the whole time i'm making anything yeah exactly yeah it's super important yeah every day i spend four hours drawing and it's always in misery yeah you know it's terrible i don't actually like it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's something that um compels me like i have to i have to keep going it doesn't matter if i don't like it right you know this isn't like a celebration of life 
<laughs> what, but, what, oh, go ahead, uh, John. What's your, I mean, how do you, do you have like a routine? Like, yeah, absolutely. Is, do you think that's important? Absolutely for me, yeah. I try to actually to boil it down to this almost monastic lifestyle where I'm mostly at home, but um, it's counterbalanced with, you know, being outdoors and walking. Or, but yeah, every day I wake and I, I actually write 1,100 words on a page in my journal. So I write for 90 minutes. And then... What time do you wake up? Do you set an alarm or you just... Uh, I wake up at around nine. Okay. So, yeah, I'll, I'll make coffee and then I'll write because my my mind isn't obstructed by emails or... So you don't check your phone first thing? You don't do any of that? Stuff? No, no. I try to, to not even have my phone near me. So, um, yeah, I'll just write. Actually, I, I did the math and I, I write something like 400,000 words a year. And I've done that since I was 17. It it keeps increasing, but uh, you know I, I get these custom made journals from Italy, and uh, I really like how they look. So you handwrite it? Yeah, it's all handwritten. I have this pen that I've always used, and I use the same pen to draw. So I don't even use like real drawing pens. I use a writing pen. And, and what do you do? You just write about like what you're feeling that day, or like each entry becomes more or less an essay. And a lot of it deals with, uh, you know, just my process and figuring out like um, just like my answers to why I'm doing things or uh, debating like my influences or, you know, people that I think are interesting. It all, or, you know, just the events of life all just kind of funnel into the one big story. And uh, for me, it's important to write it down so that I have this sense of continuity that things are, you know, continuing day after day. And it's a way for me to sort of put it behind me. You know, even if, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, even I don't really read it again. So uh, there's even a conceptual basis because my writing is so small. It becomes almost uh, conceptual in that like I'm, I'm documenting it. But by writing it so small, it's unreadable. So there's a paradox in documenting things that you can't actually return to. So if I think back like, oh, well, a month ago, I looked at this one book or whatever. Like, what was the name of it? I would never be able to go back and find it. Wow, that is so, that's, I think that's really cool. So, 90, so you wake up 90 minutes, do that, and then you're just like, I'm going to start drawing now? Yeah, usually I have like, you know, chores or obligations right. I have to tend to and I do a lot of uh, freelance work. So f- usually from two to six, I just try to block everything out and put my headphones on and, and draw. So by that time, it's time for coffee again. And then I usually go on like a, a four or five mile walk every day. And uh, at night, I'll, uh, I'm, I play guitar. So I'm preparing to record for two albums uh one's next week and the other is in in uh three weeks so after and then after that i uh you know watch movies until i fall asleep man you sound like you accomplish more in a day than i feel like i have like in a long i feel like i spend so much time just like ugh, i should be doing something well it wasn't always this way okay you know it, it came from like really disciplining myself i spent almost no money like i never go out I don't go to shows. I don't like meet up with people very often. 
I don't socialize. I almost never answer emails. And it's, it's really just, it's, it's an issue of time and utilizing time. And uh, to, to just get by is such a struggle, especially here. Or I, th- I feel like every moment counts. Like I can feel like, you know, if, like for instance, my building that I live in is, is actually falling apart. And the, the ceiling uh, has like leaks in it. So like water pours in from the bathroom and through the kitchen. And now like dust has started sprinkling in from the ceiling in my bedroom. So I, I wake to like ceiling dust falling. Like one day someone is going to fall through that ceiling while I'm asleep. So <laughs> I'm always thinking like, you know, how can I continue to live here? This place is so terrible. But I just try and keep in perspective, like I'm actually pretty lucky to have this. But things like this are distracting because I have to deal with like getting someone in there to fix it. Right. In a city like this, it's like they just don't really care. What kind of keeps you here? I think the idea of New York really keeps me here. You know, the idea of myself here is just an image that I I find correct. It just seems like the right thing. I, I can't see that anywhere else. What about you? Yeah, what well, about you, Chris? What about me? Oh, what keeps me here? Yeah. I don't really know. I, I feel like both like not not that you guys are like antisocial, but I do know like every time Chris's name comes up and someone's like, Is Chris coming to the show? Like, yeah, we invited him. He said, like, no, I'm not coming. Yeah, no, like, I, I, feel or like I have I'm, anything better to do than go to a show. And I feel like anything. I'm kind of the opposite. Like I'm I also freelance on like home all day and I feel like around like eight or nine o'clock i'm like i have to do something like i have to interact with people i've been like sitting here by myself all day yeah i don't have that yeah yeah i never ever have that really? ever in my mind the only time i ever do it is like a general um for me it's like um the impression of somebody and i want to see him again you know what i mean so like you and i going to breakfast or something i'm like i like jonah and i know i like jonah but i don't need to see jonah every fucking day right you know what i mean i but, feel that way about myself too by yeah, the way. No, trust me i definitely <laughs> do you know what i mean but even the same thing with mark and i i mean mark and i haven't seen each other in like six years probably we haven't had no we ran into each other on we street. ran into each other right but we haven't had a sit down bullshit dinner hang out talk about movies in probably like six years since i was first before before i left new york the first that's true yeah you know what i mean but we keep in contact and we've always kept in contact and there's a general knowledge that we both have a very similar personality when it comes to interacting with people i don't need to see fucking mark every fucking day you know what i mean but for what keeps me like that i never have what you're talking about i gotta see people never in my fucking life but there's an impression that i like or a memory or something that that somebody has put in my mind that I like, I'd love to see that person again because I know we have a good time, which is probably the basis of friendship. I'm just describing friendship. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But it doesn't, um, I don't have like nostalgia or like the pangs for like that kind of comfort in days, someone. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I just like, I know, I, I know that I, as a, as a person, Mark is probably going to be my friend till I'm dead. And I'll probably see him only eight more times till I'm dead. You know what I mean? But like, it's cool that I can just be like, hey, let's go get dinner. And it's the same where we left off. But I don't need to see everybody every day. Right. The only person I need to see every day is my wife because I'm married to her. And I, I love that. You know what I mean? But she's kind of got the same viewpoint as I do. If she could sit around all fucking day in the house. God damn it, she would. Right. Well, Jonah, know. you may just be an extrovert. No, well, that's the thing. I feel like I'm incredibly introverted. 
Well, you know, th- that could be a part of it, though, is that to balance out your introversion, right. you need to I actually like, have some exposure to people. Yeah, and I feel like I force myself, <laughs> and then I feel like half the time I'm out, I'm like, why am I here? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, why did I come all the way, like, this is pointless. But then that becomes reinforcement for you to get back home and feel secure. Right. Yeah, and also, you, and it's like, it's like you're convincing yourself, like, you have to, but you could be like Mark and I. Yeah, but I also <laughs> feel like being, like, a single dude, it's, like, not, like... If I if I just got into that, like I would just never ever go out, and like it's not like I have a wife or something, so it sure. would just it could get like dark. So there's a subtext of like romance, of sort of romance. Like I you th- would meet like a partner out there somewhere. Yeah, or like, or I would be like, yeah, like holding myself back by being like, or like giving up or something. But I I don't know. It's something I, I struggle with it a lot because I feel like super antisocial, and I feel like. So many people are like, dude, you are so social. You, like, well, I see you that way. You know what I mean? That's how I see you. I was like, oh, jo- Jonah knows everybody. He's like the fucking mayor over here. Yeah. I, I, a lot of it is also like not work related, but sort of like freelancing too. I'm like, well, I should go to this thing because like someone there might like, and it, it, that happens all the time. Like, oh, hey, I talked to you at the show. Like, I, I didn't know you liked this band. Like, we need a bio for them. Like, can you write this thing? Right. And I feel like to pay my rent, I should like, show my face places it's almost an extension of your job it's not necessarily an yeah. extension of your personality but it's not like in like a cheesy like networking way where i'm like what's up dudes no like, but just like mark was saying that there's too much of everything and everyone gets buried you what part of what this is to me when i see it is that it is part of your work like in the sense that you're like i am out here here's my head and i've been told this before too about me it's just like that like uh, you know i could have been somebody had said to me once it probably in a mean way that I could I could have been done more or I could have had a I could be just doing Steak Mountain and that's it and not have a day job if I just go to a bar once in a while and interact with people and they'd be like oh you do art and oh I'm in a band and I could build the brand but I was never interested in that yeah but how would you force <laughs> yourself through that you would be miserable I mean I the be, reality yeah. is that that's just not you right and that's why I never did it you know what I mean yeah. and I think that's why it, Steak is just what it is it's just what i do on occasion yeah you know and, what I mean? and i'm happy with that same with me yeah. i mean i'll put out one record a year if i have to yeah or none yeah you know i i think what what you're saying for me comes from experience of having done that so long of like having relationships that i found just so frustrating or um you know friends that i've collaborated with that just in the end feels more parasitic than anything and i've just accepted that like what I have works for me and I'm just going to like make the best of it other than uh, like sitting around pining for like a better scenario. I try not to do that to the best of my ability, you know, because it's very easy to get sucked into that. And uh, one of the things I think why nostalgia is so pervasive now is that we, like I was saying, live in this world of just like, everything being tossed out, everything just sort of floating around, that it feels so valueless. It feels just so barren of worth. So uh, to look back, most of it is pre-internet. To look back on this world of, of substance, perceived as substance, if you, for me to like describe what it was like, I, it's, I would say it's not all that different from now. But it's easier to think of things when they were simpler to just like romanticize them as better um but uh, i feel like that's a little too tempting and 
uh, like I said, it's too reductive. <clears throat> so ultimately, the, the comforts that people want just aren't realistic. So I have to acclimatize without them. So I don't have that many comforts. I have enough comforts. I have air conditioning. You know, I have a bed and a computer and a TV and a phone. Like, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's better than most. Yeah. This is why I wanted him on the podcast. No, I mean, I, I, I think I just feel like, like, how do you know, like, how do you sort of like, I, I feel like my problem is sometimes I just don't know what I want or like know what I like. Like, you know, what isn't I mean? that a daily question though? Yeah. That's something that you'll always have to ask. Right. Unless you go to law school and get married and buy a house in the suburbs. Right. But I feel like those are probably the most miserable people because they're so concerned with losing that status. And they become, you know, it's a cutthroat world. Stab each other in the back or get divorced or right. whatever. Not to say that people aren't content or satisfied, but my perception of them is one of misery. That would be misery for me. Did you ever have like a moment where you were like, this is what I want to do? Like I want to put out bands, make art, play guitar, or does it, was it kind of more just like you kind of woke up and you're like, oh, this is just like what I've been doing. This is my life now. No, I didn't just fall into it because to, to stay involved this long takes, you know, real effort. Maybe not fall into it, but was it like conscious the whole time? Like, or was it more like, I don't want this other stuff. So I'm just... I asked myself what actually makes sense. Playing guitar, writing songs, if that makes sense. It doesn't make sense for me to have a full-time job with a boss who I have to worry about liking me, liking my performance, getting along with my coworkers. I've done all that. I was an art teacher in a women's shelter. I did art therapy for two years. It was the worst, most corrupt place I've ever seen. The amount of corruption was like... It was unbelievable. And the abuse that went on there, it was like, it was amazing. But I, I held on until I got laid off because there was some budget cutback, or so they told me. And when I left that day, I vowed, I'm done. I'm never working for anyone again. Even though technically I work for anyone that buys a record I put out or a drawing I make. I like having that authority placed on me, figure out how I'm going to pay the rent, how I'm going to produce the next thing because there's no real, there's no real demand for it. The world will easily exist without me. And I think that's what it comes down to is just sort of, uh, is fighting for it. I mean, how much, how like ideological are you when it comes to your freelance work? Like if like Starbucks was like, Mark, we want to do this. <laughs> I don't. I mean, not that maybe that's not like a total, but you know what I'm saying, I guess. Like, because I feel like that's like a big thing for me too. It's like you want to sort of be your own boss, but you also don't want to be like beholden to corporations. But also sometimes, because I feel like you've ex created this thing that's very DIY and like is able to sustain itself, and I feel like that's like a very rare thing now. Well, I don't know if it is sustainable because on paper it probably doesn't make any sense. Month to month, I don't really know how it happens because I don't have like a set release schedule. There's not like a record coming out every six weeks. So, you know, it, I guess it comes down to survival. 
it's not like I have, you know, Converse right. knocking at my door to do their next ad campaign, but I've done stuff for bigger companies and, you know, I just look at it like, okay, well, now that I have money for making a Ray-Ban ad, I can put out this seven inch, you know, it was work that I already had. What do I care? What right. do I care what they do with it? I've done it with, um, this clothing company, Ruka, who was great. But um, ultimately, they, like having a shirt design out there that like people spend $50 or whatever to own, <clears throat> I don't even really look at like, once it's out there, I don't even think about it because it's so separate from my world that like it doesn't even really affect me. But I made the, you know, it's like making a conscious decision. Like I'm okay with this using my my name or like my art to sell something. If if I had to do it, yeah, I'll do it. But um, generally, I just try to do everything on my on my own to the to the best that I can. I don't know how good I am at it. <laughs> I I know how fucking good you are. Oh, but, I don't. but because I'm like number one in the Mark McCoy fan club, <laughs> so always have been. So well, but this is like this is. This is what I, I like to hear. This like for me listening to you talk now and explain stuff that we've never really even really talked about because mm-hmm. we've never been in kind of an official interview kind of a slice like this. You know what I mean? It's like exciting, but I it's like almost like you're saying these things. I'm like, I know these things about you. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> because I've been able to understand these things about you over the years. But it's like exciting to hear you say. It. It's like inspiring to me. Oh, you know what I mean? It's like it's cool, and I hope it's fucking inspiring to everybody. But this is also like what I like too about you. Um, you know, from my vantage point, it's like, um, and I think maybe I used this phrase the other day or whatever about somebody else, but it's like smart people who like dumb things. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, that's what I love because like, there's a, there could be like this perception of you that's not this, but you like are this thoughtful, super smart, not, you know what I mean? You're burrowing in a completely different direction. That is what for me makes it everything that you do different than mm. then you know what i mean that what you're involved in makes it different from like a boombox black metal record mm-hmm. to like a civilized seven inch you mm-hmm. know what i mean or things like that like or just like what you're into creatively what you put out you know it's just like the way your mind works it's just like you were thinking like you marvel at people's mind the way my, people's mind work you know what i mean but like just knowing i know that this is how your mind works it's exciting to hear you say all this <laughs> stuff <laughs> and sit here you know what i mean so it's like it's it's awesome you know what i mean it's like it's I, well, I have nothing like I, I'm having a hard time actually even coming up with like uh, conversational questions right now just because I'm like, yeah, dude, because yeah. <laughs> I agree, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> I think but, you guys seem very similar, like as far as like your your approach, like a lot of ways, like artistically and kind of socially. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, well, I, I think of myself as a kid still and I look at you that way Chris. yeah yeah yeah, for sure you know like there's certain things about me that I don't lose and I can remember what it feels like to be 13 Mm -hmm. you know like and to be in awe of you know these things out there you know your skateboard heroes and stuff Uh, I I still pay attention to these things and I don't see myself losing them you know and it's not that I'm on some endless nostalgia trip but I think those things just become part of me, you know, to monitor what Tony Hawk is doing. You know? Right. Like it's, 
it's it's not really a stretch for me because the, there's just certain things that uh, are constants. I think that's good. Like, but I think like what Chris is saying, like you being comfortable with yourself. I think that's that's a bit important part because I feel like I've had some people come at me sort of like you're like not say it but like maybe like you're sort of in arrested development like you dress the same you did when you were in high school you listen to like fucking no effects like you haven't grown up and i think like people will put that on 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 me or people sometimes because it's like there's this perception like you hit this certain age like you shouldn't care about this stuff you should care about serious adult stuff i mean people have been saying that to me forever like oh you'll start drinking at 18 oh, oh right. you'll start drinking at 21 right. oh just wait till you're 30 you know, now I'm 40. <laughs> it's just like, I, I feel the same. I don't see like why I should have ever changed that. Right. You know, like there's, why revise that? Uh, and it's not that I um, have some sort of like inner conflict I'm avoiding. It just it becomes ingrained. So to get into hardcore at this point or like black metal or horror movies... At, the, at this age, it, it is maybe interesting that uh, it caters to maybe a, uh, a more base uh, audience. Sure, absolutely. But I love that about it. Yeah. You know, I, uh, there's like base instincts exploding out of me every day. You know? <laughs> yeah. Who's, I don't think of myself as sophisticated at all. No, but you are when you talk to, when we get into this point and you're, and you, you know, you're showing like just these details of your of your mind. It's there's a sophistication that's not very common inside of liking hardcore or liking horror movies. You know what I mean? It's like <clears throat> well, so, they they cater to a, a similar feeling, sure, of um, maybe agelessness. I mean, I can watch old Italian films, and the dialogue itself, the characters, they don't even really matter to me. It's more about taking in the atmosphere, mm-hmm. taking in the settings, the backdrops, the the way it all culminates, the music, and you know th- these things. I think linger most in my mind. Um, and you know, when I mention like skateboarders or whatever, that's <clears throat> you know that was always like the greatest feeling of freedom for me, of, of just skating without being concerned of how good I am or, you know, having the right gear or the right shoes or anything. All that seemed like beside the point. Which is a very good description of almost everything you're involved in. Just doing the thing and not necessarily worrying about if you have all the elements to do it. You just want to make the thing happen because of your attachment to the actual action and not what the action necessarily looks like. Yeah. You know, Aaron Aspinwall, the singer of uh, the Repos, he was also in Charles Bronson, uh, said it best when writing lyrics for the Repos where he was, you know, he's like a, he's an actual writer, but he said, you know, I can't fixate on getting the, you know, like the right wording down because ultimately it doesn't matter when you're actually in those mind states where you're in full rage mode, you're not articulate. You don't need to be. So <clears throat> it's about working within the right form. And I think like, there's, there's certain rules to form that um, shouldn't really be broken. Otherwise, it just becomes 
uh, pretentious, which could easily be said of the way that I write lyrics, which is the opposite of how Aaron does. Right. So I look at Aaron with awe yeah. because I wish that I could be like Aaron, but I just, I can't. So, how do you uh, write lyrics? Well, I agonize over them, you know, and I'll spend, you know, months writing them, even though I don't even anticipate anyone reading them. And I don't reread them once they're written. So it's almost absurd. But I feel like it's just reaching a, 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 an, like an inner contentment of saying like, okay, that's the best I could do. And I know that that's it. Time to sign off. Next song. But starting at song one, realizing how hard that was, getting to song two and thinking, oh God, there's like 12 more songs after this. <laughs> that's real agony. But that is like, okay, well, that's the reason I need to pursue this. Do you have like a moment though, like at, like say you finish a drawing you spent eight months on and you're like, all right, I'm done. Do you have like a moment where you're just like, whoa, I finished this. This is amazing. Or is it sort no. of like, all right, what's next? No, I never pat myself on the back. No. I, do, I don't do that either. And I feel like I've been trying to more because it's like, it's, it's I think it would be good for me maybe. But yeah. it's, it's hard. Do Everything you, for me is an anti-climax. Yeah. Is it, is it for you? <laughs> yeah. But I think some of that now has to do with what I'm involved in. Okay. You know what I mean? Like who I'm involved in with as far as like Stake Mountain stuff goes because there's not a lot of personal work going on. But even the things I've been doing recently on the side, writing and things like that. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, cool. Yeah. Like if like Whatever. the against me like live LP shows up. And you get it and see your art. Are you like, oh, oh this I is would, like... I would never get it. I never keep records. Really? Never. I never ask for records. I think the last records I asked for was a record I did for you, which was the cult ritual stuff. Oh, where yeah. I was like, I want that. You know what I mean? And that was fucking seven... 2009. Yeah, you know what I mean? So it was a minute ago. But it's like, I... But that's funny, but that you mentioned that. It's like, I, I sometimes won't even... I won't even... I haven't even seen transgender dysphoria blues from against me and that record came out last year i haven't even <laughs> held a copy yet really i don't ask for them i don't care about archives at this point you know what i mean like i just you know what i mean uh i did the thing for you in united nations i right. don't have a copy of that i didn't ask for one i mean i figured I'd, if i see one i'm like that's cool man i can get you one well naturally you're fucking <laughs> sure you can get me one <laughs> but you know what i mean but it's like i i don't um i kind of leave it in the past too and the only time i ever really Reaccess it is when I kind of feel obligated to mention that I did it on social media and things like that. And even then, I'm making a joke out of it. I'm making fun of the band or I'm putting myself down. Yeah, I used to be that way. Yeah, totally. And but I feel now like that I'm was more a major influence on me. I'm more, I'm more a bare bones about it. Like, I actually take it really seriously. Yeah. And in doing so, I say almost nothing about it and I'll say it once. You know, I don't. I don't want to repost. I don't want to just like pound this into people's minds. If they want it, it's there because I hate when they do it to me. <laughs> so, right. I guess I'm trying to set a precedent. But how do you reconcile like, like doing like, like say youth attack, like it must be cool to have this expression, but also it must be so much like logistical stuff of like ordering the parts, like it's putting nothing but a nightmare. Yeah. And everything goes wrong. Anything that can will. And I've, burned so many bridges and every i feel like everyone hates me that deals with me because i'm so nitpicky and i complain about everything i'm never satisfied but to me it's that they should really step up what they do because what they do is is inferior by my standards as someone paying them 
I should get what I'm sending you. I, I expect a certain standard. So if you don't like it, <laughs> you know, that's your problem. But usually I lose. <laughs> An interesting thing about printers is that they don't actually guarantee anything. So like what they promise you, they don't have to deliver. So if you have a jacket designed for a record that you send off and it comes back fucked up, well, that's your problem. We had this happen with, not the 7-inch you did, but we did a box set and it had two 7-inches, a 10-inch and a cassette. And one of the 7-inches, test press, totally right, got them printed like, a, I don't know how many, like a, a thousand or something. And same song on both, one of the songs was just missing. It was the same song on both sides. And they like, <laughs> it was a whole thing. They like, like, we'll pay to reprint it, but we won't pay for the shipping. So we had to like, the label or else. Yeah, they always it. nickel and dime. Yeah, That's it was insane. The way they, it's, I, so it's, I mean, it must be terrible for them to stay in business. Yeah. For any printer, I, I feel somewhat sympathetic <laughs> you know, because there's probably a lot of people like me out there that like demand above and beyond service. Right. But also, like, I think you have a point, too. It's like it, you have to kind of do what you said you were going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, recently, like the failures record, uh, you know, there's things with it that like drove me crazy. But the, the printer just wouldn't bend on it. And it's like, you know, go back and look at the art files I sent you. This is not what I approved. I don't see where there's really a, a discrepancy. There's, there isn't an issue here. The fact is I didn't get what I'm paying for. So why should I pay for it? So these are ongoing battles that, you know, like uh, people will tell me, like, do you really need to keep putting yourself through this? It's so hard on you. And I just think, well, that's just part of it. That's just, that's the territory that it, it just, that's the reality. Is there like, it seems, is there like a strong, like emotional element of it to you? Wholly emotional. I am thoroughly and completely invested in these things. It's not just some commodity I'm churning out for, you know, rent money. It's like my entire being goes into these things, <laughs> you know, and it kills me when it's, it's not returned to like the... To the standard that I want it to be, right? Because, uh, you know, to to take this leap of faith by saying like, "Here's my thing, now do your part and do it well," so that you know I'm happy. I don't think that like mass production caters to that sort of necessity, right? <laughs> you know, like you're just not going to get it unless you know you're you're going to pay. I don't know what. I don't know whom. To make things for you. Well, the printer's probably like, ugh, I want to get out of here. I want to go home. Whatever. <laughs> I don't know what they think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, it probably also, for you, it's probably like, ugh, like, what else can I do myself? Because, like, if I'm outsourcing it to anyone, it's, you know. That's the resolve I'd normally come to is, like, I did everything I could. They told me no ten times that they won't reprint them. And I'm not getting a refund. Sometimes they do. But it's yeah. also probably but, a lot of times stuff that no one else would maybe even notice aside from you. Totally. The company that I work with in New York that um, oversees the production, like they're kind of the middleman company, told me like I'm definitely their pickiest client. <laughs> and I would be shocked if they worked with me again. You know? So what do, they, what do they do? What do they, they feed it to the printer for you? Yeah, they facilitate like the pre-production work. Right. So like I will give them the art files and then they interact with uh, like a pressing plant, say, sure. and 
the Czech Republic or so they do the sort of back and forths that you know I wouldn't want to do necessarily yeah they're very easy to work with these people and they're very accommodating thankfully for me right but um you know even they have their limits I like the fact that like (laughs) I like the fact that you're so self-aware about it and like non-apologetic either because it's never Yeah, I think that's good. I've been trying to do that too. Like, I feel like I'm always apologizing for stuff, and it's like sometimes it's like you should. Well, if you're a dick too, they're not going to take you seriously either. Right. So I just try to be as straightforward as I can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I've tried all angles. <laughs> <laughs> See which one sticks. I've definitely called people out for, you know, you're nickel and diming me. Yeah. You know, and I see what you're doing, and I handle people often this way where i will call them out but that tends to burn bridges so it's always like a a song and dance i go through (laughs) it's ridiculous but you know the last thing i did the devouring ghost box set was like a miracle that it turned out so beautiful and by all accounts it shouldn't have even happened and it costs so much money that it's so unfeasible for anyone to buy it but there were the right guys that believed in it and helped it happen and uh, helped make it happen. Without them, it, it couldn't have. And everyone, it's, I think it's because they're German. <laughs> they're just like insane efficiency made it all come together in this incredible way. But uh, I don't see that ever happening here in the States. Never. Never. Oh yeah, because you did that with a different you did that with a, a different label, right? Like you, it was like a co-release, right? Yeah, right. the I got you now. The people that brought me to, to Germany, right? Uh, they they handled all the production, and so like they knew all these people. There was like a a packaging design company in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I mean it was somewhere, but it was like really far from where we were, uh, in a sort of like industrial area. It was just like this box building owned by one guy who was amazing. And uh, they made everything there and then outsourced it to like a bookbinder. So, you know, like the jackets for the records are tip-ons and mm-hmm. like the, the box set is bound in cloth and it's like foil stamped. All that was put together by a bookbinder like off-site somewhere with some guy like at a desk with like glue, gluing it all together by hand and like pressing them. And, you know, it was like old world technique. It was really fascinating that... You know, he, he was willing to do this and how he did it. It's all, the whole thing to me was like a miracle. And, and I think in a week it happened. That's insane. Yeah. How many were there? A hundred. Yeah. Now, was that... <laughs> now, I'm trying to remember correctly is that you just had a show over there, right? Yeah. Did, was it in Germany? Yeah, it was in Dusseldorf. Okay, so that that record has was related to the show right or no? yeah it's a soundtrack to the exhibition which is something you did before with the show at in LA. la yeah yeah see i love that too <laughs> <laughs> well i love that aspect of it because that's something that no one would would really thinks about you know what i mean it's cool that you you create a full environment you create a full narrative you're essentially creating a movie that's not a movie you yeah. know what i mean and i i don't know if you see it that way but that's how i always see it with the la show and then with this germany show yeah and so, how many drawings were in that show? Just nine. Nine drawings. Yeah. And I was trying to tell him the other day, how, how, how long did it take you to do the nine drawings? Five years. Right. Exactly. That's what I thought. Because that's the conversation we had on the street corner. Yeah. Right? And I was like... <laughs> right. And I was like, because I was trying to explain... Um, what have you been up to? I can show you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I ran into him like, I don't know, six or seven months ago. 
right? Right. Something like that on the street with my wife or whatever. And um, yeah, and I was like trying to explain to her, you know what I mean? <laughs> I was like, I didn't even think you even fucking understand. You have no idea. He's like, Sherlock Holmes with the magnifying glass, right? Is that how you do a lot of those, right? Do you use the magnifying glass? <laughs> no. No, you don't? Damn it. You just get really close I, to the paper. I actually, some of them I, I use the magnifying glass sure. to just uh, go over like the darks and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. things like that. Yeah, just but to I was see like, like, does it actually look black? But, but the notion of that, you know what I mean? For me, like looking at that, that version of your output, you know what I mean? Like mm. that and uh, even with the LA show, you know, is... Um, uh, Cause I, you know, I don't know. I, I did a fucking seven inch cover this morning and it took me 10 minutes and I look at what you do and I go, I, I, I don't even understand how he does it. The, that, that kind of like focus and that attention to detail. Well, there are different things you're talking about. Very true. And I know that you know. a seven inch cover could take you 10 minutes too. Sure. You know, and it would be fucking amazing. It'd be better than anything I ever no. done. <laughs> so no, that's real. I hide you. I, I'm, I'm just going to keep on saying this, this whole podcast. I hold you in the highest regard. I oh, consider you to be on. the most talented artist I know. Probably my favorite artist as far as like, and I'm, I'm I always feel Thanks. pretty fortunate to be able to, that we're friends that we're friends in a capacity that's not just like your records are sick man you know what i mean like <laughs> you know like and so it's cool to to be able to hear these things but like those yeah i was like trying to explain my wife i was like I, you have no fucking idea and like mm. when i showed her she was like jesus fuck <laughs> you know and i was like I, I i you don't even know and and i've never even seen no i feel like i you did when we got together years and years ago to look at your portfolio i feel like you were working on that la show then I feel yeah. like I've seen those drawings. I saw those earlier drawings. That one took then. three years to do. Yeah. And but I then like, after that, I was like, oh, I need to step it up. So the drawings need to get more detailed. And they are fucking nuts. Did you, have you seen them yet? A you little bit, yeah, but I need to spend more time. Fucking crazy. They're crazy, crazy. Now, did you, do you, do you move them? Do you move them? Do you sell them? You know what I mean? Or, or, Cause like when I have I had art shows in the past, part of the art for me was not selling anything <laughs> on purpose and being super difficult about it so much so that I think I surprised the gallery with that. You know what I mean? Where I'd be like, These Oh yeah, for nothing's for sale. And they're already invested in the fact that they're having a show and they've done the promotion. But I'm like, Oh yeah, here's my price. <laughs> oh, by list. the way, zero. Because for me, like steak mountain, I get no pleasure in, like I was like kind of saying earlier, it's like I get no pleasure in anything that I do. And part of it's not just in general agony, but it's just that I just don't care. You know what I mean? Yeah. I say that to people often too, is that, you know, happiness isn't really a concern of mine. No. I'm not really doing anything for the sake of happiness. No, exactly. Happiness comes and goes seemingly without anything, any input from me. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I can't really account for it. How do I make myself happy? I don't know. It just happens or it doesn't it happen. It happens. And it's and a at the weirdest moments. And you can also just know that as long as, you know, it's like, I think this is something that people don't really realize about their sadness or their happiness is that it, it, it can change so quickly that like, I don't know, when I'm in a bad mood or I'm in the, the particularly rough, dark spot, which happens quite often, I also know that it won't last long. It's and then not when sustainable. Happiness, yeah, yeah. yeah. And when happiness comes, I go, that's cool. I'm going to be mad in probably an hour. And that's totally fine too. And that's how you kind of level off and be able to live being a person who isn't like, yeah, I got to be happy and chasing that kind of thing. And so like with steak, like the only thing that's ever made me happy is being difficult. It's the part of the art that for me, like, and this is something like I've tried to explain to people before who I've been difficult with, <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Or when some like now, you know, with my wife in my life, she sees these things and she's like, you know, 
dude, you got to do these things. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's part of the deal. The part of the deal is being difficult because it makes me really happy that I have a character that I can be difficult with because yeah. I see it as a character. I don't see Steak Mountain as just me. I feel like I've created this thing on purpose that I can be like, you know, I can be like to Laura and against me and be like, no, I'm not coming to the fucking show. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's fun for me. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. an aspect of it. But it's like, um, uh, uh, fuck, I don't even know where I was going with this now. <laughs> damn God Do you like being it. difficult, Mark? Do I like it? Yeah. No. No, I no. never try to be difficult. No, yeah. I, sure. With everything, I aim for the middle. You know, politically, you know, I don't know. Just in all realms, I, my expectations are always in the middle, you know? I'm never, like, expecting disaster, nor am I anticipating glory ever. It's... It's always just kind of like the straight, straight line down the middle. Yeah, hope for nothing, and if something. Yeah, I don't have hopes. Yeah, I really don't expect much, and I just I think that that's what works. That was cool, huh? I lied. I hadn't listened to that yet. Yeah, I didn't think you had. (laughs) I can tell. I can tell when Brad's lying to me. Um, But yeah. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks again to Steak Mountain for bringing Mark by and guest hosting. Thanks to Mark. Check out his art. It's amazing. Um, he's a website. Check out Youth Attack. They put out the fucking crazy handmade stuff. Check out all Mark's bands, his books. If you see him, say hi to him. He's really tall. Um, <laughs> and he's probably wearing all black. So he'll be very easy to spot. In Brooklyn, tall, wearing all black. Yeah. In Brooklyn. He's 40, but he looks much younger. He looks like a... 30. So I don't know what <laughs> that's from. Young. Maybe he's vegan or something. Um, yeah. <laughs> Music does keep you young, Brad. Uh, thank you uh, for listening. Um, check us out online, Going Off Track, or on Facebook. Leave us a good review on iTunes. Um, tweet at us. You can donate a dollar to pay for our server costs. We're trying to figure out how we can keep every episode available, but it's now there's like 180-something, so it's sort of a lot to host. Anyways... You don't really care, probably. But um, support Mark. Check out Steak Mountain stuff. Um, and anything else, Brad? Yeah, I, I have a joke. Perfect. Let's let's go out. <laughs> let's end this episode, this very serious episode, <laughs> on Brad's joke. Which he just reminded me of it with okay. uh, 40 looking 30. So there's this old, old blues master, you know, who's like 80-something years old. He's being interviewed by this young guy. And he says, so what is, what is it? You know, you're still playing, you're still going strong, you're out there touring. Like, how, what do you attribute your, like, youthfulness and energy to? And the guy goes, well, I have to say it's the three M's. And the kid goes, three M's? Three M's? What's, what's the three M's? And he says, three M's is mm, music, mm, money, and mm, pussy. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll we'll see you next week.